Aren't you glad that you can go to God in prayer? And that He hears. And uh, we want to spend the next uh, several Sundays talking about breakthroughs in prayer. Because I believe for every one of us, there's a possibility this year for God to take you to a new level in your Christian walk, a new level in your faith, a new level in your praying, a new level in your obedience. Some of you are already facing obstacles in 2008, and you're trying to decide how's this going to work out. It may be financial, it may be family, it may be a lost loved one, but there's something that you're having trouble believing that is going, that it's going to change this year. Well, I've got good news for you. God's in the business of making changes. God is in the business of breaking through when we get in the business of seeking Him with all our heart. So what we want to do as we talk through this series is to help you understand how to get a hold of God in a breakthrough in your life, in whatever it is that is an impossible situation for you. How do you come to the point of seeing God do something that you didn't believe He could do before? How do you come to the point of believing him and trusting him and acting on what he says so that that wall that is built up, that barrier that is there comes down and you begin to walk in a new dimension of where God has you to walk in this next year. None of us should look back over this year and say it's going to be the same at the end as it was in the beginning. There should be a growth. There should be a connection with God like we've never had before. And that's not a New Year's resolution. That's a boldness to come before God and take Him at His word. Philip Brooks, the great preacher of another era, said, We are haunted by an ideal life, a better world for all. And it is because we have within us the beginning and the possibility for it. Let me, let me kind of simply define a breakthrough. A breakthrough is a turning point. It often happens in a time of crisis or desperation. But it is a turning point. It is a moment of change in your life when God puts you in a position where you have to test Him and trust Him at His Word. When you are in a breakthrough, it is an opportunity for you to take God at His Word, to act on His Word, and to ask the Holy Spirit to move in and to do something in your life that has previously not been done. Either because you've not believed Him, or you've had fear, or you've had doubt, or somebody told you you shouldn't pray and ask God for that. Whatever it is, you've moved into a new realm and soaring in a new dimension of your relationship with God. I I believe, I believe that today could be the beginning of a very significant breakthrough for many people in this room. I believe that something could begin to happen in your life today that could revolutionize your life, that could get you out of the doldrums and the humdrum and the status quo existence that you find yourself in, bored with life, bored with church, bored with God even, and take you to another realm of living with Him and abiding in Him and trusting Him like you've never had before. But I can tell you this, every breakthrough begins with prayer. There are no breakthroughs that happen outside of a praying environment. 
whether it's two or three agreeing or whether it's you getting alone by yourself on your knees or turning in a prayer request to our prayer ministry or putting something on the prayer sheet, whatever it is, God can do something in your life if today you will decide that there's going to be a change. I want to ask you to turn your attentions to the screen because I want you to look at one of the breakthroughs that we've seen a few times. But it's a reminder that you have to get to the point of trusting God before there can be a breakthrough. So if you turn your attention to the screen. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. All right, Lord, this is your lot. I will honor you with it. In that moment in the movie, things began to change. Why? Because the Jay Austin character said, Lord, this is your lot. And we get emails from all around the world because of what's happened through us taking a breakthrough step and to do something out of the box and to believe God for something impossible. I got an email this week from Bangladesh. A missionary in Bangladesh bought Facing the Giants at a yard sale. We have now made it to the yard sale dimension. (laughs) As the Jeffersons would say, we're moving on up to the east side. (laughs) But I want to read you this note from a pastor in Denison, Texas that I got this week. He says, we're getting geared up for a big showing of flywheel on January the 6th. That's today at 4 o'clock, which would be 5 o'clock our time. We've invited every car dealer in the county to bring their families. (laughs) And we're giving away a car. Now, there's somebody that watched a movie and said, you know, God could use that in a different way than we've ever been used before as a church. So he's figured out a way to get somebody to donate a car to give away, and he's gone and personally invited every car dealer in his city to come to church with their families to see the movie. That's a breakthrough. That doesn't just happen. You, know, you don't just you know, put a little note in the bottom of the worship folder, by the way, going to show the movie today at 5 o'clock. That's somebody who said, I'm going to get through a wall and a barrier, and I'm going to go try to touch this community, and here's how I'm going to do it. And I guarantee you, there will be people there that thinking that they're there to get a car, but what they're really there for is they're going to find Christ. So I want to ask you to pray at 5 o'clock this afternoon that uh, people will be saved in Denison, Texas, 
when that church shows the movie at 4 o'clock their time. Let's look at some things here. First of all, breakthroughs are pivotal in the life of faith. They are pivotal in the life of faith. And I want us to look at three people. First of all, Abraham. Abraham tells us that breakthroughs happen when you believe God in an impossible situation. I want to ask you to turn to the book of Genesis. Breakthroughs happen when you believe God in an impossible situation. Some of you may face some impossible situations, some obstacles that are beyond your ability to overcome, some holes that you've gotten yourself in that you can't dig your way out of. You may be in bondage to something. You may be in fear. You may be defeated, whatever it is. But Abraham is an example to us of believing God in an impossible situation. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. We're familiar with this, but I want you to look at it from the standpoint of this was a breakthrough moment in Abram's life. Genesis 15 and verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what would you give me since I am childless and the heir as far as he was concerned, of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. In other words, not even my own flesh and blood. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Now remember, they're, they're praying. They're in a dialogue. The word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed the Lord and it was reckoned to him righteousness. Up until that time, Abram had not believed that the Lord could give him descendants. But when he went outside and he counted the stars, and when God said, that man will not be your heir to your house, there was one that's going to come from your own body that's going to be your heir. There was a breakthrough moment, and Abram believed the Lord. Now, here's what happens to us. We miss breakthroughs in impossible situations because God says, this is what I'm going to do. And we say, no, the Lord couldn't do that. This is how I'm going to work. Well, I don't know. I've never seen the Lord do that before, so I'm not sure he would do that for me. And we doubt rather than believing God. And he believed God. And it was reckoned or accounted to him as righteousness. So look what happened. He saw what God had in mind. God told him, get out of the box of the way you're thinking. Look at what he says. Do not fear, Abram. That's what he had been doing. He'd been fearing. I don't have an heir. I don't have anyone to follow me. I don't have anyone to give my possessions to. I don't, I don't have anyone to share with. And, and the man that is my heir is not really mine. How, how am I going to do this, Lord? This is impossible. And, and then the Lord says, you know, breakthroughs are a battle. He says, I'm a shield to you. Why do you need a shield unless you're in a battle? A breakthrough is always a battle because it's a battle of whether you're going to believe God or believe your circumstances and believe your own mind and your own heart and your own emotions. So God says, I'm a shield to you. I'm a protector for you. I'm going to keep you around until I fulfill the promise I have for your life. 
And so God shields him. And then he says, he tells him that you need to believe God because your reward will, your reward will be very great. Now, when did that happen? Verses 5 and 6. When God gave him a God-sized vision. Abraham looked at his wife and said, she's too old. He looked at himself and said, I'm too old. He looked at his circumstances and said, they're impossible. And God said, go outside and check out what I can do. And when he went outside, he believed God and God reckoned it to him righteousness. You see, until you believe God, the people around you, influenced by you, will not believe God either. Because you can't take people where you haven't been. You cannot instill in your children or your grandchildren to believe God in impossible situations if you yourself don't believe God in impossible situations. You can't take somebody where you haven't been. And by the way, when you have that breakthrough, the people around you start having breakthroughs. When God begins to do something in you that changes the way you think and the way you act and the way you stand on the Word of God, then that has a ripple effect over the people that you influence. Because they begin to say, if God can do it for them, then God can do that for me. If God is that faithful to them, then God can be that faithful to me. Abraham is an example to us of impossible situations. Now, I don't know what your impossible situation is, but God does. And some nights you need to step out and look at the stars. And you need to realize that the earth spins at a certain angle and it goes around a certain orbit and it has certain things that hold it all together. And if God can keep that in place, then whatever you're facing doesn't even match up as an impossible situation. So believe God in an impossible situation. Secondly, breakthroughs happen when you see God in difficult situations. Turn to Psalm 18, if you would. When you see God in difficult situations. Now, you may not be in an impossible situation, but you may feel like you're getting squeezed from every side. You may feel like that, that circumstances in your environment are, are just crashing in on you, and, and you don't know if you're going to be able to make it. It may be a very difficult time in your life, but I want you to look at David. David did not have a life of ease. David spent a number of years running from Saul. David was a shepherd. He had a hard life as a shepherd boy. And then he had a hard life until he took over the kingdom. And then he had family issues to deal with, with children that were rebellious and other things that happened in his life. But I want you to look at Psalm 18 and verse 18. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. So who do you look to when you're going through a time of calamity? You look to the Lord. And he brought me forth also into a broad place. Now, I want you to underline that broad place and kind of draw a line, if you will, from calamity to a broad place. All of us would like to just go directly to the broad place. The problem is the road often goes through calamity. And he says, I was in calamity and you brought me to a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanliness of my hands, he has recompensed me. Now, if you want to write down by that verse, Second Samuel twenty-two twenty, it is an identical verse. The Lord brought him to a broad place because he delighted in him. You delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy and everything's going to fall over like a row of dominoes. But it means that when you delight, it's up to God to give. 
It's not up to you to manipulate. Psalm 18, the word calamity there means to be in a tight place, in a tight corner, or hemmed in, pushed in, surrounded. And David said, when that trial was over, I found myself in a broad place. So look at verse 36. You enlarge my steps under me, and my feet have not slipped. He, he, you see, David's trials were enlarged, and through the enlarging of his trials, David's faith was enlarged. He began to see God as the all-sufficient source. Turn to Psalm 31 in verse 8. Psalm 31 in verse 8. Some of you are in the business of settling. You've settled. You've settled for second best in your life. You've settled for, for second rate in your Christian life. You've settled for second best in your family or, in, or with your friends or in your school or whatever it is. Look at what David says in Psalm 31 in verse 8. You have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. And then in Psalm 118 in verse 5. Psalm 118 and verse 5. You don't need to settle because God has something more for you. If you are breathing, there's a reason. God has a work yet to be done in you and through you. And for there to be a breakthrough, you've got to pray like David prayed and seek like David sought to find what David found. Psalm 118 and verse 5, For my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? C.S. Lewis said, Hardship often prepares an ordinary person for an extraordinary destiny. Hardship often prepares an ordinary person for an extraordinary destiny. Now let's look at one more, and that would be the early church in the book of Acts. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2, if you would. Acts chapter 2. Breakthroughs are not predictable. Breakthroughs are not predictable. Jesus told them, you go, you go to the upper room, and you pray, and you pray until the Spirit falls. And when the Spirit falls, you'll know what to do. Manly Beasley used to tell people when they were trying to figure out what God wanted them to do, he said, take a jug of water and your Bible and go out in the woods until God speaks to you. Just get along with God. That's what God told the church to do. You get alone in the upper room. You pray until the Spirit comes. And, but breakthroughs are not predictable. They were not able to say, okay, five more minutes and the Spirit's coming. Yeah. Oh, Peter, you better get ready. Brush up on that sermon. But you're about 12 minutes away from taking the pulpit. You, you better get ready. It's about time. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 2. And suddenly, underline the word suddenly, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. When God breaks through, there's always power. And there's always a disturbance. God ruffles us. He 
pushes us out of our nest. He pushes us out of our comfort zone. But there's always power and there's always a disturbance. God never leaves things as they were when there's a breakthrough. Look at Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 and verse 3. Acts 9 and verse 3. This is where we see the beginning of an emphasis on missions. Missions began because the gospel went to the Gentiles. How did the gospel go to the Gentiles? It went through the apostle Paul. Paul was called on the road to Damascus. Look what happened. And as he was traveling, verse 3, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, suddenly Saul was struck down and given his mission and given his message and told that he would suffer much to share the gospel with the Gentiles. But it happened suddenly, Acts 9. And so there came power, and now there comes a disturbance in an individual's life which leads him to not be satisfied to have the gospel for himself, but to take the gospel to the world no matter what it costs. Then look at Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 and verse 7. Peter's in prison. Some of you feel like you're in prison. You feel like you're in bondage today. And Peter's in prison in Acts chapter 12 and verse 7. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared. And a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Now, can you imagine? Peter was a sound sleeper. I think he was a, I think he was a major snorer. I mean, a light shines and an angel appears and he's got to say, Peter, wake up. Must have been about time for church on Sunday morning or something. I don't know. But he says, wake up, get up. What happened? Suddenly he's in bondage. He's chained. He has no control over what's happening in his life. And now there is freedom and deliverance. When you and I learn to get a hold of God in prayer, there will come a moment when God will release the chains from our lives that hold us down and bind us down and will set us free to go out and do what he's told us to do. But it happens when the church is praying. The church was praying. Remember, they prayed, Lord, get Peter out of jail. Get Peter out of jail. The angel shows up, the light shines, the chains fall off. Peter shows up at the prayer meeting and says, hey, I'm ready to come. Who are you? Simon Peter. You can't be Simon Peter. We're in here praying for him to get out of jail. Now, that's funny. I don't care who you are. That's, 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 that, that, you, can, you know it was a Baptist church because we pray. And then when God answers, we go, really? He couldn't have answered. We've been praying. I mean, what? How did, it, how did he answer it? We not know it. Sometimes you don't know the answers. But he does it anyway. Look at Acts chapter 16. Got another prison situation here. The interesting thing that happens here is that Paul and Silas, Acts chapter 16 and verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. That makes you know they weren't on a youth lock-in. Not at midnight singing praises. Right? Amen. And the prisoners were listening to them sing, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Look what happened here. 
Two things happened. First of all, it led to the salvation of a family, the Philippian jailer and his family. You and your house will be saved. And then the next place Paul goes, he goes to Thessalonica, which is one of the great churches of the New Testament. When you read the book of Thessalonians and you see Paul talk about their labor of love and their steadfastness of hope, you see that God got Paul out of that prison while he was praising God and honoring God and glorifying God. First thing that happened on his way out, he wins the jailer to Christ. The jailer's family is won to Christ. Then they leave, and in Acts 17, they go to Thessalonica, where Paul has a great work that happens in the city of Thessalonica. It opened the door for great opportunities. That's what breakthroughs do. Now let's look at the second thing. Breakthroughs are essential to God's plan. First of all, breakthroughs bring spirit-empowered momentum. Breakthroughs bring spirit-empowered momentum. Now John Maxwell says momentum is the leader's best friend. That you're better than that you really are when you have momentum. And when you don't have momentum, you, the people think you're worse than you really are. But momentum, spirit-empowered momentum, not worked up in our flesh, not rah-rah, not a pep rally, not a cheerleading squad. This is spirit-empowered. We've got to do something. We've got to break through this wall. And once we break through, we keep going. We don't just stare at it and go, wow, look at that hole that God broke through. Look at how God did that. And then we just meditate on it all the time. Every breakthrough is for us to move forward, not to sit there and stand and look at that moment of breakthrough. We build off of it. It is spirit-empowered. Bob Newton says, live your life as an exclamation rather than an explanation. You build off of breakthroughs. We've done that as a church. We've seen breakthroughs through the years, and we've continued to build off of those. If we ever sit down one day and say, you know what, we've built enough, we've borrowed enough, we've done enough, we've, we've started enough new ministries, let's just enjoy what we have. We will begin that day to die as a church. Because every door that God opens is so that we can walk through the next open door. Well, what's the next open door going to be? I don't know. I won't know until I get there. And I won't know what's on the other side of it until I get through the other side of it. And you don't know either. That's why we have to trust God. And that's why it has to be in an environment of prayer. Because we have to believe God that there's a breakthrough coming. We've seen it with Flywheel. We've seen it with Facing the Giants. We'll see it with Fireproof. We'll see it in the influence of the Pastors Conference in July in Indianapolis. There are a lot of things that have happened. We'll see it in the Upward Sports Park. We'll see it in our ministries. We'll see it at our school. There are always breakthroughs that come along the path that keep arriving. To, for us to believe God to take another step. Now, you can always find a church that doesn't want to do anything. Their name is Legion. And they bear every denominational label you want to wear. But I don't want to spend my life in a church that just wants to paddle in the shallow water. Folks, the reason that the church in America is in trouble and the reason America is in trouble today is because we've got too many believers playing in the shallow end of the pool. And we don't get out in the deep water. And we don't run risk. You know, I've had people ask me, well, what would happen if you'd done that movie and it had failed? 
We'd have done what God told us to do. And whether it succeeded or failed, that was God's responsibility. Our responsibility is to be obedient. That's all we're supposed to do. We're just supposed to obey God. Leave the results to Him. It it brings spirit-empowered momentum. And I want to tell you, the Spirit of God can do more in five minutes than a church can try to figure out in ten years. But we have to be in a position and understand it's essential to God's plan. There was a moment when God said to cross the Jordan River. He said, when the priests put their feet in the water, you go across and you follow the ark. There was a moment when Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. There was a moment when Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem. There was a moment when Peter had to preach at Pentecost. There was a moment when John wrote down the revelation of what would happen in the end times. God is in the business of breakthrough moments and it brings momentum to us and enthusiasm and energy to us because we realize that we're always on the verge of another breakthrough. Our best is not behind us. Our best is not what we did yesterday or last year or 50 years ago. We're on the moment of a breakthrough. Listen, folks, if you don't believe that, ask God to take you home now. I mean, I I don't want to walk in mud the rest of my life. I want to climb mountains. And God wants His church to move out in breakthroughs. But I tell you, a church doesn't move out in breakthroughs unless individuals are having breakthroughs in their own lives. Because when the pastor stands up and says the kind of things that I say, you kind of go, there ain't no way. There's just no way. I don't see how that can happen. And, and you'll be the rain on every parade because you won't believe God for your own breakthrough. Listen, if you can't believe God for your own, you won't believe God for the church or for anybody else. And you just hopefully ride the coattails of somebody else and never firsthand experience a significant breakthrough with God in your own life. And you will end up life missing a great adventure. A spirit-empowered momentum. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3 says, Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So you got to give time to work, but boy, when he works, you take that momentum and you go with it. I mean, we keep our foot on the pedal all the time. You know why? Because the devil's got his floorboarded. And if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. If you're sitting in neutral, you're moving backwards. So momentum is your friend. If it's spirit-empowered. Secondly, breakthroughs require a seeking faith. A seeking faith. When you read the history of revivals and great movements of God, you see people who sought the Lord. They they sought out the Lord. I'll, I'll tell you, God has taken me through some moments that have been breakthroughs in my life that I would have chosen not to go through. But what I learned on the other side of those was that it taught me to seek God. Ron Dunn said, anything that makes you pray is a blessing. And I want to tell you, if we're not praying, God can put us in a position where the only thing we can do is pray. 
He can strip all the props out from under us because God is committed to conforming us into his image and he wants us to have a breakthrough. It is God's design for us to have significant breakthroughs in our life. He didn't save us so that we'd stay the same. He saved us so that we would become more and more and more in the image of Christ. I don't like some of the breakthroughs I've had to go through. I didn't enjoy them at the moment. But looking back on them with 2020, I can see what Paul said is true. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. You see, when whether it was me finding out I was adopted at 39 or whether it was other crises that we went through, or making a decision about my mom when she was lying in a coma in a hospital, or whether it was watching people walk out the door of this church that didn't buy into the vision, whatever the crisis was, every time that it drove me to pray, it drove me to a breakthrough. To realize that my sole source of sufficiency is Jesus Christ. It's not in where I was raised, how I was raised, who raised me. It's not in who's here or who's not here. It's not in the size of the church. It's in the size of my Savior. Do you want God to do a breakthrough in your life? In Acts, the book of Acts, if you just turn back to chapter 11, you you see the story of Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. The only cities larger were Rome and Alexandria, and it was a city full of idolatry and pagan worship and cult prostitution, and uh, there were projects there built to honor Caesar and Herod and Augustus and Tiberius and others. But in that city were some unnamed heroes. We know that they came from Cyprus and Cyrene, but we don't know their names. But we know that those people in Antioch did such a work for God that the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas to try to check them out. You'll find this in Acts chapter 11, verse 19 and following. They sent Barnabas to check them out. And here's what Barnabas did. Now listen to me very carefully. Here's what Barnabas did. Barnabas went and checked them out. We don't know their names. The only person we know that was there was Barnabas. So he goes to find out what's going on. He sees what the Spirit of God is doing. They were first called Christians, like Christ, at Antioch. And Barnabas backs away. And he doesn't try to put his hands on it. And he doesn't walk in and say, now, wait a minute. Now, I know y'all are, God's doing a great thing here in this church in Antioch. But you know, in the church in Jerusalem, we do things a little differently. And y'all need to do things like we do at the church in Jerusalem. Doesn't that just sound like a Baptist? Well, where I came from, we did it like this. Well, good. You can always go back. It's not about where you came from. It's about, is God doing something? And if he is, don't mess with it. Barnabas was smart enough under the fullness of the Holy Spirit to say, you know, God is doing something in Antioch. And I don't need to probe it. I don't need to try to figure it out. I just need to go back and tell the church, whatever it is, it's of God. 
I'm not sure what all is happening. He didn't go back and give us a laundry list of the names of the leaders of that church. But, but he's saying, I saw it, verse 21. I checked it out. And we're just going to let God do what he wants to do. Can I tell you something about a breakthrough and about seeking faith? A breakthrough cannot be overanalyzed. They asked Jack Taylor one time why the revival that had been going on for years at Castle Hills, why the revival died. And Jack Taylor said, it's because I told it to death. One of the barriers to us that we will have to break through this year, I speak as your pastor is we got to get over ourselves that we think it's because of us that God has used us to change the world. We're simple servants of a great master. And if we spend our time, listen to me, listen to me. If we spend our time, all the time we talk about flywheel and facing the giants and fireproof and we can't start a conversation without talking about movies or all the time we're talking about the upward sports park or all the time if your conversation is not dominated by jesus you're stuck it's not about what we've done it's about what we're supposed to be doing we can all sit around here and go out in the atrium and pat ourselves on the back and tell everybody how wonderful we are and how great it is that we've done all this kind of stuff. I want to tell you, God could shut it down in 2008 immediately because he never gives us breakthroughs to talk about the breakthrough. He gives us breakthroughs to exalt Jesus. It's a big difference. It's a fine line. Doesn't say we can't rejoice when something happens. Doesn't say I can't read a letter that a guy's going to give away a car today. But I want to tell you something. Everything is not about three or four things that we do. Everything is about Jesus. And if we spend more time talking about what we do rather than who he is, then we won't reach our own community and we'll lose our Jerusalem while we're bragging about how we've touched the world. Albany needs a church that has a significant breakthrough this year. Listen to this report from the revival of 1907 in Korea. Missionaries said, We had reached a place where we dared not go forward without God's presence. Very earnestly we poured out our hearts before Him, searching our hearts and seeking to meet the conditions. God heard us and gave us an earnest that week of what was to come. Before the meetings closed, the Spirit showed us plainly that the way of victory for us would be a way of confession of broken hearts and bitter tears. Jonathan Goforth said of those people, They honored God the Holy Spirit by six months of prayer, and then He came as a flood. Spurgeon said, let your fleece lie on the threshing floor of supplication until it is wet with the dew of heaven. Now, let me give you a couple of things here very quickly as we close that you need to think about. If we do not seek God for a breakthrough personally and corporately, here's what's going to happen. First thing, you're going to limit yourself. 
you're going to limit yourself. You're going to limit what God can do in you and through you. You're going to limit yourself. You're going to limit yourself as an individual, as a single adult, as a mom, as a dad, as a teenager, as a child, as an adult, as a grandparent or a parent. You're going to limit yourself if you don't seek God for a breakthrough. You can take your family no further than they are right now without a breakthrough. Secondly, you're going to limit what God can do through this church corporately. You'll limit what God can do through this church corporately. You say, well, we can't limit God. The psalmist says in Psalm 78 that they limited the Holy One of Israel because of their disbelief. God works in the realm of faith. He cannot work in the realm of disbelief. He chooses not to. And if they could limit God, we can limit God. By not seeking and searching with all our heart. Thirdly, you're going to settle for second best. You're going to settle for second best. And whatever your preferred future is, it's never going to happen. Because you're going to settle for second best in your life. And you're going to get in a rut. And you're going to think this is the way life is. And it's just a drudgery. And you're going to forget that life is about an abundant relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we're going to lose the next generation. We'll lose the next generation. Because if we don't see a breakthrough in our generation, those of us that are on the watch right now, then the next generation will not even know what to look for. They'll be hindered. They'll be hampered. They'll be tied because they'll have never seen in us a breakthrough. What we pass on to them will be just going to church, carrying your Bible, bringing your offering, doing your stuff, going home, living your life. But what are you going to do so that the next generation of children and the generation yet to be born will know that our God is a God who does the incredible. And then we limit our impact on the community. Psalm 78. Let me just ask you to write it down because of time. Psalm 78, verse 1. Listen, O my people, to my instruction and incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable and I will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wondrous works that He has done, that the generation to come might know, and even the children yet to be born that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Did you see what he said? He said, when we tell of the great works of God, when God does great things and we tell of the great works, when we have breakthroughs, we tell of the generation to come and to their children. You want to know how to ensure a spiritual legacy in your life and in the life of your children and your grandchildren, you have a breakthrough. One that leaves you never looking back, always moving forward. You have a breakthrough that so arrests your attention and so dominates you in that moment that you can never settle for status quo again. 
I want to ask you today, are you believing God for a breakthrough? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want to ask you this morning. I'm not talking about new tires for your car. I'm not talking about new clothes or paint for your living room or landscaping. I'm talking about if you've got a significant need in your life. It could be family. It could be emotional. It could be financial. It could be a lost loved one. It could be your marriage. It could be a relationship with somebody that has fallen apart and you don't know how to get it fixed. If you need God to do a significant breakthrough in your life this year, and you are willing, now listen to how I'm saying this, you are willing to partner with God in prayer, not casually, not flippantly, but laying hold of God, grasping God, and saying, Lord, I need to see you do a mighty work in my life. It needs to begin in me first. And then it needs to spill out into these other areas. But I want a breakthrough personally. And then I'm asking you to give a breakthrough in some of these other areas that I'm lifting up to you. If you need a breakthrough in your life today, then I want to ask you to just stand to your feet. Everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but you need a breakthrough. You need God to do something this year like he's never done before. You need God to speak to you. You need God to work in you. You need God to move in your life and in your heart. Now, I want to pray for you in just a moment. And after I pray, we're going to sing, Holy Spirit, rain down. You may need to come to the altar. You may need to come and ask a minister to pray with you this morning. You may need to kneel down where you are. You may need to just pray where you are. But I want to tell you, I'm going to believe God that there are people in this room that are going to see God do an incredible breakthrough in their lives this year. This year. Not 20 years from now. That God's going to do something significant in your life this year that's a breakthrough. That is so incredible and gives you so much momentum that you would, you would think my Christian life was almost like I wasn't even saved before this happened. It has so empowered me. It has so enriched me. It has so changed the way I think about God and about the way he works. I can never go back to being the same. So after I pray, we'll sing. We'll just sing one verse probably. But by your standing, you're saying, I want to see God do a breakthrough. And that's what we're going to be talking about all this month. It's about breakthroughs. How, are you, how can you have one? We're going to look at some people in the scriptures who had them and what it was that brought about those breakthroughs. Father, in the name of Jesus, I, I see teenagers and children and single adults and couples and widows and widowers. I see men and women standing in this place today to acknowledge to you that they need a breakthrough. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, 
do that which cannot be explained or measured. Bust down the walls and the barriers. Set captives free. Restore relationships. Heal the hearts of the hurting. Bind up the brokenhearted. Take those that are in bondage, blinded by Satan, and take the blinders off of their eyes that they might see the love of Jesus Christ for them. Lord, for families and for individuals, I pray for a breakthrough that takes their family into a whole new realm of trusting you and loving you. Lord, in the name of Jesus and on the authority of your word, we claim that in the calamity, you will take us to a broad place. We ask that you stir in our hearts that we not be satisfied with status quo or with business as usual, but that there is a hunger and an urging and a longing to know more. God, answer the prayers of your people. Hear the cries of our hearts. Holy Spirit, come alongside and comfort those who need encouragement right now, who who need to get over a hump, who, who need to get beyond something, who need to just have your power to walk with them through a difficult situation. Whatever their need, God, personalize all of this into their own hearts and drive it deep into their souls. God, I ask you this week to give a breakthrough in somebody's life. I ask you that before this day is over, something will happen in someone's life that will give them the momentum and the courage and the boldness they need to continue to believe you for something great. Holy Spirit, rain down. Rain down on this place. Rain down on your people so that we do not settle for less than what you have for us. In Jesus' name. Heads are bowed. We're singing. You come. Holy Spirit, rain.